As you're turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9 this morning, we'll be looking in verse 43 through 50. Let me remind you, this coming week is a busy week. We have a lot of things going on. I hope all of you will be able to join us um, tonight for the Lord's Supper and feet washing, the ordinances, as well as next Sunday at 6.30. We will be uh, having our sunrise service out in the parking lot. We had a little bit of changes of dealing with the breakfast. Uh, Brother George is not going to be able to be here. So the church is going to buy sausage biscuits, um, fruit, and send your bulletin what all we're going to buy. But we're asking everybody to bring their favorite breakfast casserole. Um, but I hope you'll be able to join us. We usually have a really good crowd uh, on Sunday morning. I know that's, a lot, that's real early, but we'll try to make it worth your while to be there. Mark chapter 9, verse 43 through 50. I want to talk to you this morning about radical surgery. Radical surgery. The nurse was uh, tending to one of the patients who had just had uh, an operation, and he kept complaining about a bump on his head, a bump that was giving him a terrible headache. And the nurse was kind of worried about him. Maybe he was suffering from post-operative shock. And so she calls the doctor and talks to the doctor, said, uh, maybe there's something going on. You might want to look at him. He said, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, he really does have a bump on his head. About halfway through the surgery, we ran out of anesthetic. That's going to sneak up on some of y'all. It's going to sneak up on you. Surgery is probably one of the scariest words you will hear in a doctor's office. Does it matter? He may call it major surgery. He may call it minor surgery. You know what the difference is, right? Minor surgery is when they cut on you. Major surgery is when they cut on me. Minor surgery can be outpatient. Uh, they'll tell you it's minimally invasive procedure. They may even tell you it's elective. You don't have to have this unless you really want to. But there are some times when he'll tell you this has got to be done. This is more serious. It will be extremely invasive. He's going to have to cut deep. He's going to have to do something drastic. And there's really no choice. It's either do or die. This morning, that's the kind of surgery I want to talk with you about. You might call it radical surgery. It involves cutting deep. It involves doing some drastic things. But it is also a do or die situation. And it's a procedure that is outlined by the great physician, Jesus himself, in Mark chapter 9, verse 43 through 50. Would you stand with me in honor of our Lord and his word? Let's begin reading in Mark chapter 9, verse number 43. This is the word of our God. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, 
But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Let's pray. Our King, no one can ever accuse you of asking us to do easy things. Following you is a challenge. Now, it's also a challenge that you give us the power and the grace to do. But that ultimate decision that we have to make, that initial decision we have to make, is not always easy. And maybe there's no other command that you've given that is more difficult than the one we've read this morning. And yet, Lord, as surgery for our body is for our healing, so this surgery is for our healing. It's the only way for life. It's the only way to escape death. And I ask you this morning that you give us a clear understanding. With our minds, yes, but Lord, even more important, with our hearts, that we will see why we need to do this and we will want to do this. We will want to obey these difficult commands. You're good to us, Lord. You're gracious to us. You sacrificed everything for us. Help us, Lord, to live our lives to please you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jerry is recovering from surgery. When the nurse asked him, how are you feeling? He said, well, I feel okay. But I didn't like the four-letter word that the doctor used when he was performing the surgery. She said, four-letter word? What four-letter word did he use? Oops. <laughs> when you're a pastor, you hear a lot of horror stories. But the truth is, most surgeons know what they're doing. The vast majority of people who are operated on every year, vast majority of them not only survive, they go on to live a better life. But sometimes it takes radical surgery to get them there. Now, if you're paying attention when I was reading that scripture, you know Jesus is calling for a very drastic step. And the question that has to be rolling over in your mind is, does he really mean that? Does he really mean what he's saying? Is that kind of surgery really necessary? Well, let's unpack his words. First of all, in verse 45 through 48, he says the cancer must be removed. If there's one word scarier than surgery, it's cancer. Did you know there's more than 100 varieties of cancer? A lot of those can be treated, but some of them require extreme procedures. They require the cancer to be removed, to be cut out. And Jesus diagnoses this kind of cancer. Look again what he says in verse 45. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse uh, 45. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Verse 47. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. That's pretty drastic, isn't it? That's pretty dangerous. Cutting off hands, lopping off feet, gouging out eyes. But I think it's also pretty obvious Jesus isn't talking about your physical limbs. And one of the reasons why we know that is nobody, nobody in all the rest of Scripture ever did this, not physically. 
None of the disciples ever cut off their hand or plucked out their eye or cut off their feet. Now, if he's not talking about physically doing that, what is he saying? What he's saying is sin is like a cancer. It is deadly. And it must be dealt with. It's a do or die situation. Because if you don't deal with sin, if you don't get rid of it, it will destroy not only your body, but your soul. It will send you to a place where the fire shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die. A place called hell. A place of never-ending suffering. A place of eternal agony. Jesus isn't talking about an imaginary place here. Every one of us needs to remember that right now, at this very moment, there are people who are suffering in hell. There may be people that you know personally who are suffering in hell. They will never, ever escape. Which is why Jesus recommends radical surgery. He says, whatever causes you to sin, whatever separates you from God, it has to be dealt with drastically. Now, I want to point out something here that I don't want you to miss this. Don't want you to miss this. Cancer is a terrible disease. But you know it works through the good organs in your body. You need your lungs. You need your lungs to be alive. You need your lungs to breathe. You need your liver. Now, I'm not exactly sure why you need your liver, but I know you do. That's what the doctors tell me, that you need your liver. You need your stomach. What cancer does is it comes in and it corrupts those good organs. They go bad and they go out of control. And Jesus isn't saying your arm or your foot and your eyes are evil. What he's saying is how you use them makes all the difference in the world. What you look at, what you do, where you go. Sin is a cancer. It affects us all in different ways. Removing the cancer means there are some things you're going to have to stop doing. There are some things you're looking at that you need to turn a blind eye to. There are some places that you are used to going that need to be off limits. Anything and everything that leads you away from God and leads you into sin, it has to be cut out. Now, I'm no mind reader, but I imagine that you don't have to think long before you come up with a list. You really stop and think about it. There are some things you're doing, you know, this is killing me. This is killing me. It's got to be removed. Surgery requires more than willpower. It requires his power. But it does require choice from you. When you go to the doctor, it doesn't matter what kind of surgery it is, he's going to say, you tell me what you want to do. You tell me what you want to do. Even if it's a life or death situation, do you want this surgery or not? And you have to make the decision. Now, if you make the decision, he'll go in there and take care of it for you. If you don't make the decision, then you'll die. The same thing is true here. You have to make that decision. Now, when you make that decision, Jesus will come in and he'll do the operation for you. But you've got to decide. You decide whether to have the surgery and live or you refuse the surgery and die. There's a second facet of this radical surgery. Verse 49 says the pain must be endured. The pain must be endured. After surgery, um, you don't probably don't feel much of any pain. Sometimes I, 
I get tickled at people when I meet with them after they've had surgery, and they are just not hurting. Oh, are you feeling okay? Oh, yeah, Brother Mike, I feel fine. I feel wonderful, and they do, until the happy meds wear off. Then you start hurting. And the surgeon will tell you that's just a process, part of the process of healing. It's true when it comes to the radical surgery of sin. It involves suffering and pain, or if you want to put it in one word, it involves sacrifice. Verse 49 says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. The key word in that sentence is sacrifice. In the law of Moses, whenever a sacrifice was offered, two things had to happen. Number one, there had to be fire. It had to be burned. Number two, it had to have salt. Leviticus 2.13 says, With all your offerings you shall offer salt. So when Jesus talks about fire and he talks about salt here, he's using that. He says you have to be seasoned with fire, you have to be seasoned with salt. He's saying your life has to become a sacrifice. You have to allow your life to become a sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You are to be a holy sacrifice. The word holy comes from a word meaning to cut. It means to separate. Being holy means that you live a separated life. You live a life that is different from people that do not know God. You are to be a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. That means that you are living to please God first and foremost. Your sacrifice is your reasonable service. It involves serving God, not just warming a pew. Just as that slaughtered animal on the altar is completely committed to God, your life must be totally committed with God. Now there's one big difference between the Old Testament sacrifice and this New Testament sacrifice. The Old Testament, when you killed the animal, the animal was dead. When you, the New Testament sacrifice, the animal tends to wiggle off the altar. That means being seasoned by fire and salt. You present yourself to God as a living sacrifice, but it's not a one and done deal. It's something you have to keep doing. It's a choice you have to make and keep making. Just as cutting out the cancer requires God's grace, you need God's grace to keep your life on the altar. But let me tell you, it is not easy. It is not easy. It is often painful. It is not even possible by yourself. But here's the thing. That is the only way you will find healing. It's the only way. C.S. Lewis put it this way. There's only two ways. Your way and God's way. And in the end, he only says two things to you. Or you only, he only says you have to respond to him. You either tell him your will be done or he tells you have it your way. Your way is much easier, much less painful in the short run. God's way is much more difficult, much more painful. It's like carrying a cross. 
But there is only one way that leads to life. Sacrifice must be made. The pain must be endured. Finally, Jesus says in verse 50, the peace must be pursued. One of the first things the doctor will ask you is, who's going to stay with you? Who's going to stay with you after your surgery? You're probably not going to be able to fend for yourself. You won't be able to walk. You won't be able to cook. You won't even be able to go to the bathroom alone. You're going to need somebody to help you. Now, you can hire somebody, but most likely you'll depend on somebody who loves you. Somebody who loves you enough to clean up your mess. Somebody who loves you enough to stick around when you get cranky and ill. Somebody who loves you enough to help you heal. Well, radical surgery of the soul requires this kind of relationship, or you might call it this kind of community. Look in verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Now, the salt here is not about sacrificing to God. It's about sacrificing for one another. Doing everything, anything necessary to have peace with one another. And peace here is not just the absence of conflict. It doesn't mean that I get in my corner and you get in your corner and we stay there. The peace here is the presence of love. Now, if you ever read through this whole chapter, you'll read earlier about how the disciples are arguing with each other about who's the greatest. They're fussing with each other. Jesus says, no, I want you to be different. I want you to be salty. I want you to be seasoned with love that brings peace. And he says, it's a peace you cannot afford not to pursue. If the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you in here have ever tried to use spoiled salt? It's, it's a tasteless, horrific thing. Salt will add a little flavor to something, but if you use salt that's spoiled, it, it will take away from the food. Having salt in yourselves mean having, means having a peace-loving patience that brings healing. And it means you've got to pursue that. Peace doesn't just come. You have to pursue peace. That's why the church is so important. Not the church as far as this building. The church as far as the people of God. Now, I know a lot of people don't think that this is worth it. Preacher, you don't know. I've been burned. I've been burned a lot. I've been burned too many times. I'm not going to let anybody get that close to me again. You know, I understand how you feel. I get that. I've struggled with that myself. But I keep coming back to what one old preacher said. He said, the church is like Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark. It gets to be a stinking mess sometimes, but it's still the best thing afloat. Being a part of the community of the church must be pursued. Now, what it takes is not perfect people. It takes salty people, people willing to sacrifice for one another, people willing to be patient with one another, people willing to love in spite of our faults and our failings. I'm not a chemistry whiz in high school, but one thing I've read is that salt is composed of two elements, chlorine in the form of a chloride and sodium. What you may not know is that sodium and chloride are poisonous. You were to take either one of them into your body alone, 
it would kill you. But you put those two elements together, you meld them together, and they become salt. They become part of an essential diet. That kind of peace doesn't just happen. That kind of saltiness doesn't just happen. It must be pursued. It has to be pursued in our homes. It has to be pursued in our community. It has to be pursued in our church. It's the only way this radical surgery can bring healing. Back in the 20s, Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane was the head doctor at Summit Hospital in Pennsylvania. In those days, the early part of the 20th century, every surgery that was done was done with general anesthesia. What that means is they had to put people to sleep before they did any kind of surgery. Well, Dr. Kane had this idea that you could do surgery with only local anesthesia, which meant that you only put certain parts of your body to sleep and that you could still do the surgery. And actually that that would be better for the patient. That would help them recover quicker. His problem was finding somebody that would let him test his theory out. Nobody wanted to do that, but he finally found one person. It was a person that needed an appendectomy, had need to have their appendix removed. And Dr. Kane had probably done 4,000 or more of those surgeries. He'd have no problem with that. But he does this one with only local anesthesia. He does not put the patient to sleep. Now, back in those days, if you had an appendectomy, you would stay in the hospital for a week or longer. But after Dr. Kane did his surgery, the patient walked out of the hospital the very next day. To his fellow surgeons, that was almost unbelievable. But that's not the most amazing thing. What is truly astonishing is that Dr. Kane performs the appendectomy on himself. Now, let me quickly say I do not recommend you try that at home. Surgery is very expensive, but when you need it, a trained professional is worth every penny. But when it comes to radical surgery for your soul, you've got to be involved. God does not overrule your will. You've got to make the choice to cut out the cancer. You've got to make the choice to endure the pain, to make the sacrifice. You have to choose to pursue the peace. Unlike Dr. Kane, you have someone who will help you. He'll give you everything you need to make this, church, this surgery successful. But you have to choose to put yourself under the knife. Is that what you need this morning? Maybe in your life there is a cancer. There is an area of sin in your life that's been eating away. The reason why you can't feel closer to God, the reason why you don't get any joy out of reading the Bible, the more you can't seem to pray, the reason why is because that cancer's been growing. And this morning what you need to do is bring it to Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm ready to have it out. I'm ready to have it out. I'm ready to have it cut out. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning and you've been trying to Live a nice, easy, comfortable life. You know, just make everything as pain-free as possible. Uh, you know, I, everything just like I want it. And Jesus says, I didn't save you for that. I saved you to sacrifice. I saved you to live for the one who gave his life for you. And maybe that's what you need to do this morning.
You need to quit running from the pain. You need to embrace it. Maybe you need to pursue the peace. Whenever the preacher brings up being at peace with other people, somebody immediately flashes in your mind. Somebody that you're at odds with. Somebody you need to forgive. Somebody you need to reach out to. Somebody with whom you need to be reconciled. You can't afford to put off this surgery any longer because it really is a do-or-die situation. Are you ready for radical surgery? Would you bow your heads with me, please?